Welcome to Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, WWE Superstar Seth Rollins. And now, here is your host, Rob Pasquani. Welcome to an all-new edition of Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. It is Rob. It is a pleasure to be with you on this huge, huge, my voice can't even handle it, edition of Squared Circle Pit. And uh, thank you, of course, for listening. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Squared Circle Pit looks to explore the commonalities between heavy music and professional wrestling. And uh, previous episodes, previous guests on previous episodes have included the likes of Slipknot's Corey Taylor. We've had Chris Jericho. We've had Bubba Ray Dudley. Legends like Mick Foley. Raven. Cannibal Corpse's George Corpse, Grind Fisher, Every Time I Die is Andy Williams, Zach Wilde, Mike D from Killswitch Engage, plenty of guests. So check out our archives at metalinjection.net slash squared circle pit. And like I mentioned, today's special guest is Seth Rollins. He is, of course, a WWE superstar. He has a huge match this weekend at WWE SummerSlam. He wrestles Dominic Mysterio, the son of the legendary luchador Rey Mysterio. And I talked to him about that, but mostly we spend a lot of time talking to Seth about the type of music he was into growing up, the type of stuff he's listening to now, and we really get into it, and he talks about the the correlation, like I said, between music and wrestling, and the music that he listens to when he works out, and even talks about the music that his, his wife, Becky Lynch, also a WWE superstar, got him into in the music he got her into. So it was a really, really awesome conversation. And, and Seth is a guy that I've wanted to have on the show for a really long time. He's been a known metalhead. He's actually had, I remember even back in the Ring of Honor days, he would have metal designers like my good buddy Vertebrae 33 doing his trunks and stuff. So he was always kind of had one toe dipped in the metal scene. So that's really cool. So Let's get to my incredible conversation with Seth Rollins. And then if you care what I have to say, <laughs> I have some opinions on the other end of the Seth Rollins conversation that you could hear me ramble on about, about the current pro wrestling scene. So I'll talk to you in a few. Here's Seth. Now entering the squared circle pit, WWE superstar, Grand Slam champion, all the accolades, one of the top stars in the WWE, Seth Rollins. Such a pleasure to finally talk to you on Squared Circle Pit. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. You know, your voice is a lot less metal than I expected, I will admit. <laughs> well, I mean, I could turn on the growls a little later, but uh, you know, it's it's early in the afternoon. We don't have to <laughs> we don't have to get too into it, but I want to talk about your uh, uh, musical tastes and, and you know the, the Squared Circle Pit when I started this podcast first of all you were one of the first people I had in mind as a guest when I, I started it because you you carry the torch for like the metal scene the hardcore scene like the punk kids like the DIY kind of uh, people and uh, I always appreciated that and I, I've always been a fan I followed your career throughout the indies and all that uh, and I'm just curious what came to you first was it your uh love of pro wrestling or was your interest in like rock music punk and hardcore and all that uh definitely wrestling for me was first i started i mean i was a wrestling fan before i could 
before I went to, you know, kindergarten, probably, I think my, my, my grandpa, my dad, and uh, my uncle, they got me into it, you know, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, around, you know, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Mr. Perfect, Jake the Snake, those guys. So um, I was into it then, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what metal music was at that point. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't, uh, yeah, it took me a little while longer before I, I ventured into that scene. I mean, my dad was into kind of some, I mean, kind of about harder rock, but, you know, Van Halen, Thin Lizzy, Pink Floyd, into more alternative music um, when I was a kid. But, you know, you're four years old, you don't want to, you just want to, bop around to Michael Jackson or whatever. So it was a different, different vibe back then, you know, from a, from a musical perspective anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to be clear, like I am in no way an elitist about what's metal. Like it's all, it's all good. Like I consider Van Halen metal, uh, Pink Floyd, not metal, but like, like progressive, like they're the building blocks kind of, you know, like the bands, the metal bands that I like clearly are a big Pink Floyd influence. So, uh, when, when did you start getting into like heavier stuff? Was it like more in your teen years or like, do you remember like how it came to you, how you got exposed to it? Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I have a brother who's three years older than me. And so he was always like, I just, you know, he was way cool. Right. So whatever <laughs> he listened to, I listened to. And so like through junior high, gosh, definitely through like grade school and like the beginning of junior high I still was just listening to pop radio for the most part. And then, you know, he kind of started dabbling a little bit, listening to like, I mean, Metallica was the gateway, right? You know, mm-hmm. whether it be Black Album. Black Album was the first metal music that I really attached to. I think he kind of started with Injustice, which was, for me, I couldn't go, I couldn't go that far. Right from, you know, Backstreet Boys to Injustice for All, I was like 11, 12 years old. I couldn't get that way, but I could go from like, you know, boy bands or pop radio to, uh, to nothing else matters. And then to enter Sandman and stuff like that. And so, um, I kind of started there and then it just really, I mean, going into the, gosh, it would have been late nineties and into high school. Like that's when I just, I became completely counterculture. I, I, I had disowned my entire uh, you know, pop CD musical library and everything had gone out the window. And essentially it was, you know, it was all Metallica, all Pantera, um, you know, and then from then on, from then we found, you know, the modern kind of metal core um, that was essentially defined my teenage years after that. So uh, just to like, were you into the new metal stuff was like corn and Limp Bizkit since they kind of seeped into pop radio, was that kind of helping to get you to the counterculture or like, like where, where, what was the jumping off point past Metallica? There might've been like a small, like I like corn, right? Mm -hmm. Corn was cool. When you started to get too far into the rap side of things that sort of threw me off. So like Lincoln Park and Limp Bizkit, you know, they were like novelties, like, you know, Fred Durst was kind of like a joke at that point, but it was like, he was cool in the mainstream, but at that point, anything that was mainstream was sort of not cool, you know? So like yeah. new metal, I got as far as like Godsmack, you know what I mean? Like that's about as far as I pushed it when it came to, to new metal stuff. And then, and corn as well, but I mean, they were such pioneers you know, in the, in the, in the late nineties with, with their style of music that by the time they got mainstream after follow the leader and issues, 
it was like, you know, they, they had, they had already run their course with me and I was on to the heavier stuff, but they were, they were a nice go between. So at the very least, like I could still socialize with, you know, the majority of the population <laughs> when, you know, you would say, say, who do you listen to? And you'd be like, Oh, you know, Pantera and Lamb of God. And they're like, uh, and you're like, I listen to some corn and people are like, Oh, okay. I know corn. They got the life song. Right. You know? So yeah, I was right there with you. Yeah. It was helpful in everyday conversation, but it's certainly, it was a short transition through kind of the new metal phase out of that into basically just thrash metal, melodic hardcore and stuff like that in, in the early 2000s. It's funny because I think we're about the same age. I'm, I'm like uh, two or three years older than you. So I kind of went through the exact same kind of trajectory as you did, like going from pop. And then I remember like seeing Marilyn Manson on MTV and just being like, whoa, like this is like, I want to explore this more. Uh, and then kind of like, falling down the the rabbit hole but i'm kind of curious like when you were a kid as a pop fan it's not the coolest thing like you you name dropped the backstreet boys like what were art like pop artists that you enjoyed at the time yeah i i love the backstreet boys and now mind you i grew away from them obviously as i was a teenager and revolted against pop culture but um yeah i mean i i was you know in, in 98 99 i was i loved backstreet boys i loved uh the boy bands were hot. I loved some R and B acts as well. Like when I was a young kid, I really liked Boys to Men. Oh God, uh, Casey and JoJo. You know, oh, I was like, that's why I lived my life in, <laughs> in the late nineties. Um, I never got into like the alt rock or grunge. Like I never really jumped. Like I didn't ever own a Pearl Jam. I never owned a Nirvana CD or cassette or anything like that. Oh, interesting. Just like. My mom really listened to pop radio, and so that's what I jammed on. I, you know, whatever was was ever whatever was on the local radio station, you know, the top ten hits list. I was I was into it. So uh, you grew up in uh, in Davenport, Iowa. Was that like was there like a scene there, like a punk, like a hardcore underground scene? There was a little bit, a little bit of a, a hardcore scene there in uh, in high school. You know, my friends joined, they, gave, they started a band and kind of played little shows in VFW halls. There was a bigger band called Ignite the Will that uh, was like a hardcore, strictly hardcore band. Obviously, Modern Life is War is from Marshalltown, and they were probably the biggest band to come out of Iowa. Then you had like Two Peer to Die, uh, and obviously Slipknot in the early 2000s as well started to bust out with Wait and Bleed, and, and they're... Um, the first single and like their, their big record there but yeah it was it was a little bit of a local scene we would go to some shows and uh get down a little bit but there was always that riff like my my friend's band was like a straight thrash metal band like just you know head banging and at the time especially in the early 2000s hardcore scene was blowing up huge so everybody wanted to dance you know everyone wanted to throw, mm -hmm. throw kicks and elbows and stuff and so there was like a a bit of a divide between the hardcore kids and the metal kids which was which was funny yeah, I, I I totally know what you're talking about, and I kind of experienced that too, where like thrash almost seemed passe for a minute uh, for these like hardcore kids who just wanted like uh, the breakdowns. And now it's kind of funny to me because it's like everyone's invited, you know, like let, let's have everyone. <laughs> like, I, I, but when you're a teenager, those distinctions are so important for your like identity or whatever it is. Yeah, isn't it funny how that happens? It's just it's just where you where you settle, right? Yeah, like. It was the same music, the same attitude, the same counterculture, the same, you know what I mean? But you still, it broke yeah. into genres and subgenres, and you still identified specifically with like a certain type of metal and that type of kid that listened to that exact 
riffage, you know, it was, it's, it's weird now that I think back on it, but yeah, now that, now that there's an infinite number of genres available with streaming music and like, you can find anything you want in a, you know, a second snap of your fingers. It's like, it's, it's funny to think back about how segregated even the metal, the niche metal industry and metal scene was at the time back in the day. And now it's just like, yeah, everybody, everybody have a good time. Yeah. And and it's funny to think because even like it's so it's such a small community because like once you get out of that bubble, like you were talking to like, uh, like mentioning how you're talking to friends like I like these bands and like, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, like to them, a hardcore, a, a thrash, but whatever, it all just it's all noise. <laughs> you know, you really have to have that specific ear to discern the differences to my mom and my ain't girlfriends that I had at the time or anything like that. It was just nonsense. You know, it was just screaming. There was no, no one knew the difference between Kate Breed and, and Shadows Fall. Or, you know what I mean? There was right, no right. distinction, but you had to really, you really had to know the difference between, you had to be a true, true, a true weirdo to know the difference. <laughs> so, uh, I watched, there was like a WWE network documentary, uh, about like your upbringing. You said like you knew forever that you wanted to be a wrestler. And I'm curious if like, going through like the hardcore scenes, like the DIY and seeing like your friends kind of just like, I want to be in a band. I'm going to do a band. Did that in in some way kind of inspire you? Like, Oh, I could do this. I could be a wrestler. Maybe not necessarily, uh, you know, in the mainstream, but in kind of like the, the wrestling equivalent of like these DIY shows. Sort of. I mean, gosh, I didn't even know, you know, small independent promotions existed until I was like 16 or 17 ish, you know, like, message boards and the internet uh we figured out what independent wrestling was as it started to blow up in the you know early 2000s when i was in high school and stuff but um you know my friends were who were in the band and then my other friends we would backyard wrestle like that's what we did so it was like kind of parallel like the dream was always like oh you guys are going to make it as a huge metal band and we're going to make it as pro wrestlers you know and like we're going to carve these similar paths i suppose when when we were doing it, it we didn't really identify the similarities all that much you know we weren't at least that wasn't part of the conversation but it was certainly something that like looking back on it we 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 wanted the same thing as far as like the path the path we were going to carve but we didn't know at the time that you know i didn't know how to get anywhere in pro wrestling i just loved it and wanted to do it which is why i would you know do it in my backyard um because I, I couldn't wait till i was 18 to go get trained so I figured i would get some practice in that way but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at the parallels between making it the way I did as far as like, you know, going up the ladder and working small shows and, and how small bands, especially, you know, nowadays it's a little different, but especially back then it was like, you just, you know, toured until you died and, and, and hope that someone would notice you, you know, and you'd come back mm-hmm. to, you know, gain have an extra 20 people than that you did the time before. So yeah, it's definitely it definitely parallels itself a lot from metal bands to pro wrestling and how we how we gain our following on a grassroots level. Were you watching WWE and WCW at the time, or were you also checking out ECW? Like I know you just said you found out about like more indie wrestling a little later, but like was it always just WWE, or were you just like any and all wrestling I will consume? No, I loved everything. I, I mean, anything from, I mean, as soon as I found out that, I mean, it was WWF until I knew that there was more than WWF. And then mm-hmm. it was, 
oh, what's this WCW thing? Oh, what's this ECW thing? Oh, what's this NWA thing? Oh, they were territories? Oh, they've been wrestling for 100 years? Like, what is this, you know? So, yeah, as soon as I could figure out what independents were and what territories were and anything and everything, I was I was hooked. I would, I would get my eyes on anything. That's, and do you remember what your, you said uh, you watched wrestling with your grandpa and your dad? Like, do you remember what your first wrestling memory was? Like the first show you can remember? Yeah, they, they took me to a, a live event house show, as they were called back in the day, at, at a venue called the Wharton Fieldhouse in Illinois. It's about a 15-minute drive from my house before this before we had full arenas. And it was like a, it might have been like a high school basketball gym or something like that. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. I remember sitting in the balcony, like the front row of the balcony, and overlooking the the ring and just being blown away. You know, came home with Legion of Doom shoulder spikes and um, just my dad yelling at the Mountie. And, you know, I think it was like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in the main event. And, you know, it was uh, so it was like probably early 90s, 92 or so. It's like my first. Aside from like begging my grandparents to order pay-per-views at the time because they had the capability to do that, and renting VHS of old WrestleManias when I, you know, from from the local video store, the first live memory I have is that live event and, and just being enamored by the the larger than live characters. That's cool. I was the same way. I would always just rent uh, WrestleMania four because it was the two tapes, and it would just be like an entire day of just watching wrestling and like playing with my pillows. <laughs> that was always my go-to rental. Oh yeah, WrestleMania four was awesome, and I loved obviously WrestleMania six as well. Hogan and uh, Warrior in Toronto. Now, were you a, a Warrior guy or a Hogan guy at the time? I was a Hogan guy. My brother was a Warrior guy. I was a Hulkamaniac through and through, man. Had all the all the all the stuff, the suitcase, the toothbrush, the wrestling buddy, the <laughs> pillows, the, the whole the whole nine. I went through like a, a bout of denial and depression when Hogan lost. I was like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, no, it didn't happen. Hogan doesn't lose. How did you deal with the the result? Broken. I was just devastated. And like at that point, it was difficult to even follow WWE from week to week or month to month if you were a young age. So like. You know, I didn't even know that he had you know, taken time off to film television shows and all that stuff. I was just like, oh, WrestleMania 7, he's back, you know, like, cool. <laughs> I, right. I hope he gets the win. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I was not, I did not take that well. I was not okay with it. Well, uh, kind of like uh, fast forwarding to like when you're kind of on the indies and uh, you're, you're, you're making waves and then uh, you're doing the Tyler Black stuff. And I loved watching you grow in ring of honor uh it was such a pleasure uh watching that and then you get signed and uh they ask you to change your name and you pick i don't know like did you pick seth rollins or like because uh, i assume the rollins comes from henry rollins yeah it was uh it was a process you know this was i got signed in 2000 i don't know what it was 2009 or something like that maybe 2010 and um, this was the era in wwe where the indie guys who had made their names didn't get to keep their names i think like CM Punk was the last one who got to keep his. And then, you know, Daniel Bryan from Bryan Danielson and Tyler Black was gone. And, and um, you know, Loki was Caval or whatever, whatever it was. You know, they, they were trying to own everybody's names. And so I tried to get a variation uh, of Tyler Black through because I thought that it was a you know good name and marketable and yada, yada. But they, they just poo-pooed it from start to finish. Um, now you've got guys who are, you know, you, you know Samoa Joe and, 
Ryder Strong and Kyle, basically anybody that comes through NXT gets to keep their names if it's, they, they realize that, you know, there's some, some, uh, equity there. Um, but, uh, you know, we paved the way for those guys. So I'll take it on the chin. I think I've done okay with the Seth Rollins name. Yeah, you made it work. <laughs> yeah, it was a collaborative process between myself and the late great American Dream Dusty Road. You know, I came, came with a list of names and first names and last names. And uh, I really liked Rollins, obviously, because of Henry Rollins. Uh, I was never a huge fan of Black Flag, like, Never a big Rollins band guy, but I just loved Henry Rollins. Like, I just loved his spoken word stuff, loved his stand up, loved his just, you know, just his, and I still do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say, shouldn't say it past tense. I still think he's just awesome because he's just so blunt and straightforward and tells it like, like it is and has great insight and awesome life experience. And, uh, he was a cool dude. And so I just, I kept Rollins and, and I let Dusty decide on Seth, which he really liked because he could, not properly say it with his lisp, and so um, he he thought that we got a kick out of that. So that's that's what kind of where it came from. Do you have a dusty impression? I mean, I, we were talking about him. I have to. Oh, not I do not have a good dusty impression, baby. I got a little one, but I cannot do a full dusty. You know what I mean? So you know, it, it is what it is, player. <laughs> I love it. Uh, how how influential was he for you? Because I I seem to recall at the time, uh, like you were coming in as a fan who followed uh, the indies. Like I remember being like, um, I don't know, like if worried is like strong, like the term, like oh, are they gonna fuck this up? You know, like like kind of like uh, concern. No, that's even too strong of a term. But like, did he help transition you from like? you know, your self-taught kind of independent mindset to more like what WWE was kind of looking for? Was he like looking out for you at that? So the nice thing that Dusty did was he was the one person in developmental, I would say, that didn't try to change me at all and didn't Mm. try to, um, yeah, he didn't try to mold me in any, any WWE, you know, kind of, idea i guess what what was thought of as like the machine he because he you know he's different he was always a different star he was never the prototype for what a star was was supposed to be but he was such a relatable personality and such a huge personality that no matter what he looked like or how he talked or you know his his uh lack of you know traditional wrestling talent didn't matter because he was a star and so when he saw star potential in people, instead of trying to like rein that in and change it or turn it into something else, he always wanted us to just be who we were. And he tried to get the most out of our personalities. And so um, that was what he did the most, especially when I was coming up against a lot of people who were trying to be like, oh, no, you got to do this different. You got to do that different. He was the one voice that always was like, nah, man, you know, F him. <laughs> you know, you, you do you, baby. Uh, that's good enough. He's like, you're good enough to get you here. It's going to be good enough to get you there, baby. You the man. Don't worry about that. So he was very influential and, in, and, in, in, you know, being ca- dusty was counterculture himself, man. He was, he was as metal as it gets. 
That's so cool. I was such a big fan of, of Dusty Rosen, like, uh, when, when he passed away. I, I didn't know him personally, but it felt like an uncle or somebody passed. And, and like, my worry was like, Oh no. Oh no. Who's going to help the future stars? He was so good at nurturing them. And I'm like, that's, that's not my problem. <laughs> you know, like, like, why am I worried about this? But yeah. like, it, <laughs> it was like, I, I was just very, I, I seemed very affected by it because I was such a huge fan of his as many people were. Yeah, you weren't the only one, man. I think it took a, it took us all a long time. There's not many people, you know, who who were, who were past that we still commemorate those days, uh, you know, and and uh, he's one of them. So he, he's a special dude. He helped a lot of people. Um, so when you get to the big stage, you make your WWE debut, and you had an awesome debut with the Shield. Uh, is it akin to like like did you take a step back? And just be like, you know, I I was wrestling in my backyard, I'm wrestling in arenas now. Like, what's good? Like, like, did you soak in the quote unquote making it part of it? Nah, man, there was no time for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, once once we hit the ground running with the shield, it was it was you know full throttle. They 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 pushed us to the moon. They gave us every opportunity right out of the gate, and they expected a lot out of us. You know, we were doing main events every single night on live events. And this is back when we were doing uh, five days a week, which seems like insanity now, considering the current schedule with the COVID and everything. But, um, you know, we were doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday live events, and then Monday, Tuesday TV. And then, you know, if we had media during the week, it was just go, go, go. And there's no time to, like, you know, recollect really, uh, you know, oh, we came from here. And at that point, too, like, you got to understand myself and, and um, Moxley Ambrose, we were, we'd been grinding for a decade, you know, a long, right. long time. And Roman had been in developmental for three years as well. And so it was just, we, we were, it, there was no, like, like there was no time for sissying around. Like, it was like, this is our moment. We're going to take it. We've been ready for this forever. Let's go. So there was no, there was no like, Oh, we're so happy to be here. It was like, nah, man, we want, we want to take the business over like now. So there was no, uh, there was no, 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 you know, maybe a, a post here and there, like, hell yeah, boys, we did it. But there was no, no time for recollection at that point, not in a sentimental way. Anyway, I have to say that's pretty metal. <laughs> so like you're you're a big workout guy the term crossfit jesus has been coined by many a folk and i'm curious like do you have a go-to playlist when you uh when you hit the gym or is it just uh, whatever album you're listening to is it a radio station what gets you in the zone when you're when you're doing your workouts oh it's a variety of all those things to be honest with you you know i train too much to just listen to the same thing over and over so mm-hmm. You know, if a new record comes out that I really am into, I'll usually play that. And then, you know, it, also I work out with people. And so I can't have it be the same, the same Misery Signals record over and over again. So I have to change it up and give them a little bit of, little bit of bounce in the music as well. So I got a couple of playlists. I got a heavy meaning lifty, which is all, all metal music. And then I got a, a bouncy, bouncy, lifty, lifty, which is a little more like kind of pop punkish and stuff like that. And then every once in a while, I'll just search like nineties hits or something like that. And, and just, you know, jam out to Whitney Houston or something. So it just really depends on, uh, on who I'm working out with and, you know, what I'm trying to get done, how the day is going, et cetera, et cetera. So who are your like uh, workout uh, buddies? Who do you usually hit the gym with? Well, my wife, obviously, mm-hmm. Becky Lynch. She's, uh, you know, she's 20, 
three weeks pregnant now, but uh, still in the gym quite often. And so she, she's there with me all the time. Uh, I got a, a wrestling school back in Iowa and uh, one of my students, he's you know been wrestling now for a while, but uh, after he graduated, he asked me if he could you know, work out with me. He wanted to get in the shape that I'm in. And so he's been working out with me for a while. He's an independent wrestler and Titan. Good young kid pushes me. He's like six, seven years younger than me, maybe eight years younger than me. And so, you know, he, he gets me to where I need to be. And then when I'm on the road or I'm out here in Orlando, uh, Cesaro is my, uh, my go-to training partner. And then last but not least, my partner at Dead Boys Fitness, Joshy. Joshy G, Josh Gallegos, he'll, uh, he'll help me out when I'm in Los Angeles. So I got friends all over, man. I'm very fortunate to have people who, uh, who like to be fit and hang out and listen to heavy music. That's cool. Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned you work out with your wife, Becky Lynch, and I know Becky is a big grunge fan. Do you guys get into musical arguments about, <laughs> like, uh, you know, who wants to, like, we're not playing Pearl Jam right now, we're playing Metallica? <laughs> or whatever it might be. No, man. You know how you got a wife. You married. <laughs> I do not at the moment. No, <laughs> but I do know how it is. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, when you get a wife, yeah, you they they win every time. You just you ask them what they want to hear, and then you put that on. And if they say whatever you want, babe, you put something on until they tell you to change it. That's how that goes. So whatever she wants, she gets. She's twenty three weeks pregnant. That that rule applies. <laughs> Zero weeks pregnant, but especially when she's halfway through. So. That's a that's a that's a that's a lesson for you for the future. <laughs> I, I will take that to heart for sure. And so I'm curious now: Have you gotten her into any bands that you're like really passionate about, and vice versa? Has she gotten exposed you to some more of the grungy alternative stuff that you might have not been open to before? Obviously, Pearl Jam's her favorite band, and so we'll go back and listen to you know older Pearl Jam albums. Like I know all the hits, like you know what I mean, like. Mm-hmm pop on and i don't i don't dislike i don't dislike pearl jam i just never got into the scene like i think eddie vetter is extremely talented i love the band i think they make great music uh and have throughout their entire career really and i love how they've kind of changed as a band as they've gotten older you know which i love as well and so i have no problem but we also have some crossover as far as like you know she likes a little bit heavier stuff like something like a rise against or whatever and so she'll she'll you know, we can cross over there and she, she puts up with most of my like kind of easier going music or something with clean singing. Like, but she's not opposed to a kill switch record or, or, uh, or something like that. So, um, you just have to get to find that middle ground and make sure that, you know, she can, something she can get down to, but yeah, we definitely, definitely influenced each other to, to listen to new stuff. That's cool. And and I think it also speaks to the versatility of the genres where it's like there's metalcore with clean singing, there's the growly stuff, which, you know, it, it's different for different tastes. And, and I think it, it kind of shows that, like we were talking before, there's all of these subgenres and you could really just hone in on what it is you like about the genre and kind of just stick to that. So I think that's that's really fun. And uh, now you mentioned you have a, a child on the way. And are you going to be like, do you have a, a stack of CDs, of metaphorical CDs now that we're in the digital age that you're going to you're going to expose your child to the to the world of rock and metal? Have you thought about that at all? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I you know, obviously you can't make your team listen to anything, but I'm sure we're going to, you know, infiltrate uh, their ears with, with all of our influences and, 
and uh, they'll pick and choose. I just pray, pray, pray that that they don't end up uh, listening to rap music. Just please, <laughs> God, stop. I won't be able to handle that. I, we're going to have a real problem if that happens. I have to put them in, in a separate house or something like that. Well, it could be the kind of situation where, like, you know how... You know, you were in a sense rebellious, and you rebelled on what your parents told you. It might be a situation where you're pushing all of this rock music on them, and then to rebel, they might do the the hip hop. So maybe you take the opposite approach, where you say you love hip hop, and then they'll rebel and like rock. Oh god, that's the social experiment that I've ever heard. <laughs> so I'm curious now, like in terms of stuff today. Uh, like, where do you go to dis- like discover new bands, or is it kind of, or, or have you reached that point where you're just like, I just like the bands that I like. If they put out something new, I'll check it out. And, and you're not necessarily seeking out more bands. Like, like how, how? Where is your musical journey right now? Yeah, man, I'm old. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not old. I'm 34, but musically, I'm to that point in my life where I'm not opposed to discovering a new band, but you know. I'm not that guy who's like actively trying to figure out new bands to listen to. And like of the genres that I enjoy, the bands that I listen to are essentially the best, in my opinion, the best at what they do. And so it's hard with so much new music and the access to music being so readily available, you know, with streaming and stuff like that. It's just, it's almost, it's almost overwhelming because you can find a new band every day and you don't know what their longevity is going to be. You don't know if they're going to put out one, two, three records, if they're going to put out no records, what they're going to do. It's just, it's, it's too convoluted. And so to me, I, I stick with what I know. If something I hear like really catches my ear, then I'll jump into that, you know, but it just really, if I'm not into it at this point, it's probably not going to happen. So um, especially newer, younger music, like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the kids like. I don't know what's cool anymore. Well, it's funny. Cause I kind of feel like metalcore in a way is, is coming back. It's been like almost 20 years now, which is also kind of insane to think about. And there's all these young bands like, uh, well, at the top of the pack would be Code Orange, which I assume you're familiar with. And then uh, there's like bands like Knock Loose and Vein and uh, Turnstile. And and it's this cool scene where it is kind of uh, bringing in more of the hardcore elements into metal. Yeah, see, all them bands, I know the names of them. Like, I think I tried to listen to one Code Orange song, and I just did not. I was like, I don't like this. I'm out. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me, man. I don't know if that's for me. What, what are you jamming? Currently, I'm on the new Misery Signals record, Ultraviolet, which just came out last Friday and is awesome. Mm-hmm. Take a second to talk about that just because I love... Uh, they came back with vocalist uh, Jesse and uh, he did uh, Of Malice the Magnum Heart. And that record is amazing. And I think that uh, this one is really, really good too. Really, really good too. I love it. And then, you know, uh, I'm still pop punk. I'm listening to Neck Deep. They put out a new record a couple weeks back called All Distortions Are Intentional, and that's really good. I'm trying to think. No, I don't know if I've listened to any new metal. Protest the Hero. Yeah. One of my buddies put me onto their new record. It is okay, but is the vocal. I can't do a whole record with that brother's vocals. It's 
just a bit overwhelming for me. Uh, he's just got a very, you know, pronounced vocal style. Mm -hmm. Trying to think if there's any other metal off the top of my head that I've been listening to lately. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything that's it's, it's really... Misery Signals is the new is the one I've really been hitting hard lately. I really enjoy that record. Yeah, I'm really digging it too. I'm really glad those guys are back. I feel they were kind of underrated the first time around, so it's good to see them back working on new stuff. Uh, but what are your like all time go tos? Like you could always like for me, I could always put on Ride the Lightning, and I'm set. I'm not going to change it. You know, for the entire record. Do you have like all times that you just know beginning to end it's going to be classic oh man yeah gosh so the biggest influence on me musically i think is that like the time period that i listened to the most metal music was like just that american metalcore from 2000 to 2010 mm -hmm. probably so like shadows fall lamb of god kill switch engage god forbid unearth like the like i mean i love of one blood Shadows Fall record, um, Alive or Just Breathing from Kill Switch is End of Heartache from Kill Switch. Also, is both, they're both incredible. Man, I love As a Palace is Burn. It's just a, a banger. Um, I mentioned uh, Malice and the Magnum Heart by Misery Signals as well. Modern Life is War has a has a record called Witness that is uh, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best hardcore records ever. Uh, might be biased because they're an Iowa band, obviously. <laughs> um, and then the Me Metallica back catalog too. I mean, Ride the Lightning you mentioned, Master and Justice, the Black Album. You could really just play those on repeat without ever having to change anything. And then, I mean, Pantera's first four records too. Of course. I mean, they are just ungodly. Those are the same same type of vibe. So uh, that's I mean, that's a good little uh, jaunt into my my musical Rolodex from back in the day. That's great. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many good records that I, that I could fawn over for a long period of time. Uh, it just reminded me of like that headbangers ball tour when you're, when it was all of those bands like lamb of God, kill switch engage shadows fall on earth and God forbid. And like what an insane tour that was at the time. And yeah. it was like at these small venues and now it would probably sell out, you know, arenas. It's crazy to think. No, dude, I went to that tour. I I went, uh, I think it was one on, because God forbid and on Earth were the openers, but they rotated or like they did half, right. half and half. I remember seeing the on Earth tour and uh, uh, version of that. And that that tour was just madness, dude. Any three of those bands between uh, Kill Switch, Shadows Fall, and Lamb of God could have headlined at that point, you know? Like it was just so, it was nuts. But I was in Chicago for it and I just, it was one of those where you couldn't even move. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just packed in the front there. Like just you were just suffocated for for hours. But you didn't want to go anywhere because you didn't want to lose your spot in the front. And oh, it was sick, man. It was it was nuts. That's a oh, I'd be remiss if we're talking about metal and I didn't bring up Parkway Drive. Uh, oh yes, of course. Yeah, Parkway. Their 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 first uh, gosh, their first four records through. Um, Atlas, their first four records, I would put up there with with any metalcore music as well. There, I mean, I love their newer stuff too. The last two records have been good, but um, up through Atlas, it just that they just you know they they weren't making arena rock or arena metal the the way they are now. It was just straight raw, insane, and they're probably one of my favorite live bands too. So yeah, man, it's all there, all there. 
Awesome. Uh, well, as we wind down, I, I, I do want to mention you have a pretty big match at SummerSlam. You have one of the featured matches. Uh, you are facing Dominic Mysterio. This is August 23rd, 7 p.m. on the WWE Network. And it's safe to assume that Rey Mysterio was one of your idols. And you've obviously worked with him. You've had great matches with him or a great match with him. And now, like, he's, I don't know if he's, but like, you're tasked with working with Dominic in his first match on a big stage is like, is this the type of thing that you live for? Is there like anxiety? Like, what are your thoughts going into it? Oh, I'm pumped, man. I thrive under these type of situations. You know, it's very, sometimes you go through the motions, you know, we do this year round. There's no off season. Uh, obviously you get hyped up for WrestleMania and that sort of stuff. This year was weird because, you know, we, we shut everything down and had to do it at the PC, but you know, you still get hyped for some of those bigger moments and bigger matches and, and the challenges that, you know, come with progressing through your career in the industry. And, and, uh, you know, this is one of those where it's another first, you know, not just for Dominic being his first match in WWE, but also a first for me where I'm giving someone their first match in WWE. And you mentioned the stage and the platform and the occasion. And, um, you know, I, I, I relish the opportunity to get in there and, and have another first and, and hopefully, um, you know, tear the proverbial house down. I think it's going to be, you know, we've set the stage thus far. Um, you know, Dominic has held his own, um, being, being very inexperienced, but, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun, fun, it's been a fun story to tell so far. And I'm looking forward to, uh, what SummerSlam brings and, and, uh, what, what I can bring out of Dominic. And, um, I'm sure he's going to surprise me as he's done all the way through this with his performance and his acumen for our industry. You know, it shouldn't be surprising, but for a kid that's little to no experience, I don't care what kind of last name you have or if you've grown up around the industry, it's still pretty impressive to see him perform at the level that he's at. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. And it's, uh, you know, nerves in a good way. Yeah, and like just as a, a fan watching it, you know, I've followed Rey Mysterio's career since the you know the ECW and Nitro days, and like I, I'm, I'm so emotionally engaged in the story. Uh, like I, I just like I have so much empathy for Dominic a, as a character, and, and really, like I think it's also how he's playing it, like it doesn't look like he's acting like he like like it, he believes what he's doing and and it just brings a sense of like real like i remember like when they had the the spot in survivor series and he they both did the 619 like i i i got emotional like i was like like tearing up a little like oh my god ray must be so proud like this was this is such a huge moment for them like like you know to be in the ring together and, and i imagine this match that you guys are working out like are going to have at SummerSlam, it'll it'll be very similar in that kind of emotion, drawing out the emotion out of the viewer, which is the goal, I, I assume, of WWE. Yeah, I mean, we're storytellers, man. We're just like any other TV show, you know. If you uh, you watch and you you want to feel something, you know, that's the idea. When you watch a show, whether you want to laugh or you want to, you know, be you want to care about a character, whether it's you know a sitcom or Walking Dead or Game of Thrones or you know whatever whatever your sitcom of choice is, you know, we are a a variety show in that way. And then we have all sorts of, uh, of different things. And, you know, the goal with this one is to, uh, to get people to care about Dominic. And, and I, I, I think they do. And so, um, you know, whether that's because he plays a naive kid real well, or he is actually a naive little kid, you know, <laughs> one way or the other, I think 
maybe a mix of both. I don't know. Maybe he's got some experience on that being, you know, 23 or whatever he is and taking his, you know, first infant steps in, in the industry. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 like I said, it's an exciting story. Uh, Ray's a legend. Um, he's someone that I've always, I've watched him since ECW as well. And so to be able to, you know, get in the ring with him and, and to, to have fun with him and have great matches with him. And, uh, and now to, to, you know, bring his kid into the business as well. It's, uh, it's cool, man. It's an exciting thing. Like I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity at SummerSlam. And hopefully uh, this will be a debut that, uh, to remember. Awesome. Well, once again, SummerSlam is August 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Seth, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and to talk about music and to talk about all of this. I thank you so much for being so generous with your time and hanging out here on the Squared Circle Pit. Thank you. Very, very cool. And I'm very much looking forward to Seth's match at SummerSlam. It's truly one of the matches I'm most looking forward to this coming weekend on the WWE Network. And I'm also looking forward to this new vibe that WWE is going to be introducing because uh, I'm not sure like what the news is happening, but uh, you know they're going to be working at the Amway Center, the Amway Arena in Orlando. Uh, they've been producing their shows out of the Performance Center, which was basically a warehouse that they turned into like a gym that they turned into a, a production studio for the last few weeks of, of WWE television. But, you know, it, it definitely seemed a little cramped compared to the large arenas that we're used to seeing WWE in. So they're going to move into the Amway Arena and there's going to be virtual fans. I'm, I'm curious how this virtual fan stuff is going to look because personally, I was a huge fan of once they started kind of piping in crowd noise. Uh, kind of expanding on the noise that the people around the ring were doing because the silence kind of kills me. You know, I, I, I love I love the the louder. You really notice the last few months how important a crowd is to the pro wrestling experience. How much the crowd is kind of like you know the fourth or fifth cast member, and it'll be very interesting to see. So that's I think a big part of what's to look forward to with SummerSlam, and I, I'm assuming they're going to kind of debut it on SmackDown on Friday. So. We'll see what happens there. And and that should be really interesting. And SummerSlam itself uh, has uh, a bunch of unique matches. I'm very curious what's going to happen in the Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre match. Because I'm a big fan of Drew McIntyre. I think he's been one of the bright spots of the last few months of the post-COVID era. But... Also, Randy Orton has been getting a monster push lately. So is Randy Orton going to like win the title? It's one of those matches where I have no idea what the outcome is. Personally, I would like to see Drew retain and hold on to it a little more and add a little more credibility to his reign by having wins over both Brock and Randy Orton. Because I feel like a lot of the challengers that Drew has gotten since his win have been not that impressive. You know, Drew should have beat Dolph Ziggler. Like, th there was no question about that. Like, he needs an actual challenge to overcome. So I hope that challenge is Randy Orton. And like I said, I'm very curious about what this Dominic Mysterio-Seth Rollins match is going to be about. Obviously, Seth Rollins is going to bring it. He's one of the best in the business. Not just saying that because he was just a guest on my show. I genuinely feel that way. Uh, and it's really up to Dominic. And I think he is up to the task. So far, he's really done awesome i hope it continues and i'm really curious what's going on with the women's 
division storyline with Sasha and Bailey against Asuka. I really like where it's gone so far, and I'm curious what they do with it. And uh, I'm looking forward to NXT TakeOver as well, because I really want to see what's going on with the Keith Lee Karrion Cross feud. That's another feud where I do not know who the winner will be like. I would say, since this is Keith Lee's first major title defense, it's his first TakeOver defense, he should win. But Karrion Cross has also been doing quite well. So who could it be? Uh, elsewhere in the wrestling world, New Japan, I've been kind of starting to follow it again. They have a big show next week. The Summer Sizzler, I think it's called. <laughs> I'm just glad New Japan is back. And, and, you know, while it's not quite at where it was, it's crazy that they actually have fans in attendance. But they've recommended that there be no cheering. Because, you know, when you cheer, you use your mouth. And, and there's a risk that the germs could be spread while cheering. So they ask only clapping and... And, and hitting your feet so there's no cheering in new japan shows so it's kind of, it's this very weird <laughs> kind of there's reactions but not all the reactions but the the wrestling is still great and AEW has been really fun to watch as well on wednesdays i really like a lot of the the new people that they're pushing um orange cassidy is getting a, a huge huge exposure and i've Still, though, really miss Phoenix and Pentagon. <laughs> and I know they're going to be on this uh, this weekend because I think, oh, that's right. There's not going to be a, a Dynamite this Wednesday because of NBA playoffs. So they're going to be on Saturday as well competing with TakeOver. So it should be very interesting to see what they do in that second hour uh, and how, how that competes with TakeOver and how TakeOver affects it. So this is going to be a really big weekend for pro wrestling. There's going to be a lot of stuff this weekend. And then next weekend with the New Japan show. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty fun time, all things considered, to be a, a wrestling fan. At least we have all this wrestling stuff to distract us from all the other not-so-fun stuff happening in the world. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to my interview with Seth Rollins. And if you thought that one was big, I'm going to give you a little, give you a little secret that... I uh, I haven't really said anywhere else yet, but I'm really excited about my next guest as well. He's a WWE Hall of Famer, and he is a pro wrestling legend, and recently made his return. His name is Adam Edge Copeland, and he's going to be on the Squared Circle Pit next week. I, I, don't, I don't know how it happened either, but it happened, and it was incredible. And I hope you can tune in, and please uh, follow Squared Circle Pit on social media, at Squared Circle Pit on Twitter, no E in circle, for Twitter, too many characters, and then also on Facebook, and I'm going to make an Instagram page. So, do a little search for Squared Circle Pit on Instagram. You might find me on there as well. And thank you as always for tuning in. See you soon, and until then, play some jams. Enter the pit. <laughs> <laughs>